Welcome to the Celtics Pride Podcast on Celtics Blog. I am Adam Motenko. With me as always, my twin brother, Josh Motenko. Yeah, I'm not a replacement podcaster. I'm the real thing right here. Replacement twin, Josh Motenko, and our good friend, Mike Minkoff. Back from the wild, gentlemen. Two weeks away. I'm refreshed. I'm recharged, rejuvenated, just like CJ Miles out from the hinterlands. A bunch of old guys trying to still make it in this league. That's the three of us on this podcast here. Today on the podcast, uh, we are talking, we're recording this just before the game against Philadelphia on Monday night. We're going to talk about the last few games, uh, some themes playing the young guys, Josh Richardson, Tatum and Brown's play. We might get into a little Ainge stuff, uh, maybe a couple of other surprises before we get to the upcoming games. But first, uh, I want to talk first, Josh, did you remember I said a number of things on the last podcast, the one we did on trades that like I, I kept thinking about it through the week going, going, other people are talking about this. These things are happening. It's so interesting. I, like you and I talked about Danny Ainge uh, getting hired. I, I talked about him getting hired by Utah. That was and then the next day. What happens? Yeah, he got hired by Utah. He's it's, you're like you're Adam Stradamus right now. <laughs> at Amsterdamus. Uh, one of the other things I mentioned was uh, at the end of the whole podcast, my conclusion about whatever trades this team makes, I really think that that we need to be playing the young guys. We need to be playing Pritchard and Neesmith, who were not getting enough minutes. Romeo started getting more run. One of the things that's happened in the last few games, Neesmith and Pritchard are getting run. They're playing well. Uh, Pritchard's shot really well uh, in the New York game and really contributed, was playing down the stretch. So was Neesmith. Didn't shoot quite as well in that game, but uh, played great defense. Uh, Neesmith played well against Golden State. And I'm just, I mean, look, two and one in the last two games against Milwaukee, Golden State, and New York. And I think I I like what I'm seeing from this team so far. Um, what do you guys think about this Neesmith-Pritchard? Are, are they going to get buried again once people get healthy from COVID? They're definitely going to get buried again once people get healthy from covid uh, whether no. whether whether they whether they will versus should they is a, those are two different questions but i i don't i think there's no question that they are behind schroeder and richardson and the starting five um and and grant williams in the rotation and that's not going to change while those players are on the roster i, I my yeah, question to you hurts. my question to you adam is who would you, like would you want them playing? Would you want Neesmith playing ahead of Richardson? It's not ahead of, or it, it or is ahead of. No, you can take minutes from Tatum and Smart and Schroeder. So you'd run, you want an 11 minute rotation. Let me finish. Who are all playing more minutes than they've ever played in their career. And I don't think that's a wise thing long term for Tatum, especially. Um, do what you want with Schroeder. He's not coming back. Marcus Smart. He's tough. I don't know that. I mean, it's not a tremendous load for him, but I I would do some load management with both Tatum and Smart, and I you, I would take minutes uh, from Schroeder to give to Pritchard for sure, and some from Tatum and um, Richardson to give to Neesmith. But you got to give those guys as well as uh, uh, Romeo fifteen minutes a game, and that's a ten man rotation. It's not a, it's not eleven, and I think that is actually doable. No, if you you would have. Tatum, Brown, Smart, uh, both Williams, Horford, Romeo, Richardson, um, Schroeder. That's nine right there. And then you add Neesmith and Pritchard. That's 11. And that doesn't even include Ennis. 
So math, yeah, I did not include Ennis Cantor. Math is not my strong suit. So, um, so I like I would love for the young guy personally. I, I agree they've been playing pretty well. I mean, I think I think Neesmith is sh- continuing to show the flashes. Uh, he sh- showed at the end of last year, um, great rebounding, trying hard on defense, and sometimes even in the right place. Um, the shot has come and gone. Uh, it's not quite as consistent as I think we all both would like it to be and believe it can, it will be when he gets regular minutes. Um, and then Pritchard, you know, I think he's exactly what we think he is. And that's a, that's a good, you know, rotation capable backup point guard. Um, I just, you know, I can't imagine us benching Schroeder, which would be basically the way that those guys would get run. No, Mike, you're you're right, and I, I have to reluctantly agree. The problem is uh, that we don't develop players well. We haven't for years, and I think we need to start doing that. So I'm just excited for the upcoming Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson trades that will open <laughs> up space for these guys to play. Yo, I, I guys, I, I think Neesmith has been playing really well. I think defensively, the idea that he's not always in the right place is I'm, I'm kind of tired of hearing that. I think that he injects a ton of energy on that end of the floor and is in the right place most of the time. I feel like the 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 issue is not the defense, I think, for Neesmith right now. Like, Adam, if I were to ask you, because I, I think he should be playing more too, if I were to ask you, what do you think he's shooting from from three or from the field goal? Like, what do you, it what's was below thirty percent recently. It was below thirty yeah. percent recently. I don't know what it is at this point. Thirty-three percent from two and twenty-three percent from three. And so it's just like it's way worse than it seems. You know, it seems like he's he's missing, you know, thirty, forty percent of the shots, but it's way more than that. Um, and if he knew his role can, and he knew when he was going to play, I think that what you would see a normal high thirties from three for Neesmith. The issue, I think, is just when you compare him to Josh Richardson right now, who, like, in the beginning of the year, I didn't trust Josh Richardson's shot at all. And Dennis Schroeder came out of the gate, you know, blazing hot. And now things have kind of leveled off a little bit. And I think the eye test doesn't even show what Richardson is really doing. Like, he's he's shooting 47% from field goal, which is his best for his career, and his second best from three. Like if we were, if you were to ask me in the beginning of the year who our two best three-point shooters would be, and I said Josh Richardson and Grant Williams, you guys would have thought I was crazy. It's true, I would have. Richard, <laughs> so, and just just to to add to that point, um, Josh, uh, you know, as far as like true shooting percentage on our team, which is you know basically weights for free throw percentage and for three point percentage so robert williams is tops on the team because he shoots like 99% from two point field goal uh, cuz all he does is dunk um but after him grant williams is number 2 with an almost 70% true shooting which is insane for his, given his shot distribution and then josh richardson is third amongst regulars uh with 62% like Better than Horford, better than Tatum, better than Schroeder, way better than Brown. Yeah, that that I agree with you, Josh. That you know, I would love to see Neesmith getting more run. I would like to see Pritchard getting more run. Um, I think my guess of the two is I, I think there's a greater chance that Schroeder gets moved than Richardson this year. That's a guess, total total guess. Um, and then we'd see more time for Pritchard than Neesmith in the grand. Uh, scheme of things but i i think it's i think 
you know, the veterans are going to get preference and neither Neesmith or Pritchard is playing well enough that they've just, you know, they clearly have outplayed the veterans for that position. The way that like Grant Williams has kind of really established himself in that four man role. But Richardson is playing extremely well right now. He's on fire. He really helped win us that New York game. And uh, he's a tough, gritty defender. He looks smaller than he is. He's 6'5". I'm just trying to sell him to other contending teams out there. You, you can all use a nice wing like Josh yeah, Richardson. Yeah, so can we. Josh Richardson is better than Aaron Neesmith. But <laughs> I don't know why you're trying to get rid of him. Because we're not a contender. We're not a contender. That is true. But we do have Josh Richardson for another year. So we could sell him in the offseason too. Or trade yep. him, I should say. I mean, we, um, we finally have some middle-of-the-road contracts that are more tradable. So I think we're more likely to make a trade. You know, before it was just Marcus Smart in that category. And now we got Schroeder. We got Richardson. We got Smart. We got, you know, Horford is now a contract that is more tradable than the contracts we had before. So uh, I think the idea that we may make some moves and lose uh, Josh Richardson or other guys with those kinds of contracts is, is higher than it used to be. But so... Just a, I know. I mean, I'm not going to argue, Adam, the point that we are whether we're a contender. I, I I agree that we're kind of a tier below that. Um, what I will note, however, is that you know I've got I've got four player lineup data up in front of me for all all four player lineups, uh, well across the league, but for the Celtics, um, that have played at least a hundred minutes together. And that you know, organized by their net rating, and the negative combinations are ones with Dennis Schroeder, basically, <laughs> um, and yeah. not with Josh Richardson. And we have a lot of very, very good lineups, like with our smart J- uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams combination. That's plus fifteen point five and two hundred fourteen minutes together. There are some good ones with Schroeder, Al Horford, Schroeder, Smart, Grant Williams, Schroeder, Smart. Tatum and Grant Williams, but Richardson has been playing really well. I think our team has been playing really well with certain combinations when we're healthy. And I I do think we're still very capable. Like I said before the season that we would be fourth in the East. I think we're still fully capable of being a top four team in the East. I do not think we're going to compete for a championship this season. I would be happy getting rid of Schroeder because I don't think he helps our near-term objectives that much nor is he in our longer or even medium-term plans but i wouldn't get rid of richardson that quickly even if it's at the expense of some playing time for neesmith and pritchard i'm not saying dump him i actually think you could get reasonable value for him you might be able to get a a first round pick for josh richardson i don't think you're getting that for schroeder and and i would dump schroeder as quickly as you could just to get whatever you can for him i mean he's he you would think would be an asset given his counting stats but you look at the teams around the league. He's played for a number of teams. I don't think a lot of teams want him back. Uh, and and you look at team, the teams that need a point guard, there aren't a lot of those either. So I think it's going to be a little harder to trade him than fans might think. And I think that just means that we will trade him, but we'll get less value for him. Let's talk about Tatum and Brown because uh, both of them are playing incredibly well right now. Tatum's in a groove. Brown looks like he did not just take a number of weeks off. And I think they're playing well together, too. Uh, I, I like how Zach Lowe wrote about the four times they did uh, set picks for each other in the Milwaukee game. Um, the same number of times they did that all last year, I think is what that stat was. 
And I, it was nice to see both in the Milwaukee and Golden State games that, that more wing picks and guard picks for Tatum and Brown, which I think sets up, if you set the pick well, uh, it sets up a nice opportunity to, to um, get an advantage on a defender. Um, and it makes it harder to switch, I think. Yeah, I didn't know Lowe wrote that. I had mentioned, I, I mentioned in the Celtics blog Slack uh, a couple of days ago that I was like, is it just me or are Brown and Tatum like putting together a string of games, uh, both playing well at the same time, like more consecutive games than they have in at least a very long time, if not ever? Like the, for a very long time, right? It would always be like Tatum goes for like 35 on efficient scoring. And Brown has like 17 on like 24 shots or, or flip that. I felt mm-hmm. like one would have it going. The other would be kind of forcing their offense, right? We had the whole, all of last season, it felt like, you know, your turn, my turn on offense. Um, and, and I'm seeing what, what Lowe wrote. And obviously Zach Lowe is uh, one of the best analysts out there for a reason that certainly matches like the eye test and the gut, which is they're just playing together and playing off of each other much more effectively and it's been really nice to say i mean the offense has felt unstuck and so much more aesthetically pleasant to to watch with this team than it did for so much of last season they're passing a lot more and a lot better too just the numbers of the passes that they're making is is higher josh what are you seeing from them isn't isn't the common theme between their good play in the last few games just the fact that dennis schroeder hasn't played and three games right the dennis dennis Schroeder didn't play against new york didn't play against golden state and didn't play against milwaukee right i i i don't think that hurts to be sure but i also don't think that's the only factor at play here i do think i mean again i i, I think what zach Lowe is highlighting is important they're setting you know they're setting screens for one another um they're they're getting some kind of two-man action action with each other in a way that they didn't before uh, I feel like under Brad Stevens offense, a lot of times, you know, they would do that kind of weave um, yeah. at the top to try to get motion, but that weave would involve one of them and the other would be off in the corner and just kind of standing around waiting for the ball, you know, yeah. waiting for someone to, to penetrate in, get the defense in rotation and then kick the kick it to them on the other side. So it, it is a pretty substantial change to actually have them screening for one another um, get you know putting the stress on the defense of trying to figure out how to guard the two of them at the same time um, and then creating space for one or the other which lets them much more easily get ahead of steam anytime you can get your two best players in a ball screen action it's difficult to guard for the defense but what the celtics are doing right now with those wing to wing screens is they're slipping it and popping out right away to the three-point line so now that that's the obvious pass is to pick up the dribble and swing it right away. And then that guy guard closing out on Tatum or Brown at the three point line off of the screen, that guy's hustling out there to the point where now you have openings for drives and, and you know, there are two best drivers, Tatum and Brown. So they're able to now get into the paint or hit the, the three if they're left open. And so that's, what's been so dangerous about it. It's the slip that they're doing on the screen. Um, but I'm impressed with Brown being able to hit the jumper like he has coming off of so much time off. I mean, he's obviously kept up with it in the gym. Um, and the range is there like it was before, too. I'm, I'm, you know, He's one of those guys you can add to the list who's taken shots four or five feet beyond the three-point line and feeling really confident about it. So, yeah, I'm impressed with the way Brown's come back. 
you, you said Brown and Tatum are our best drivers. I, I want to give a little shout out to Marcus Smart, the driver, who I feel like over the last at least week, maybe it's been a couple of weeks now, uh, he has brought his kind of dribble penetration game to a whole new level. And it's it's huge. He's He's getting to the free throw line. He's being more effective at getting into the teeth of the defense, um, opening up space and passing lanes. I wish he'd try to be a little less flashy and a little more pure with some of his passes. Um, but, but Marcus Smart being kind of uh, being able to uh, consistently get past the first line of defense is a huge development. Yeah. And the casuals would say, wait a second, Dennis Schroeder is one of our best drivers. Like, yeah, that's if you're looking to blow by somebody and just get to the rim to score. But in terms of making decisions or stopping short in the mid-range to be able to to pick up the dribble and, and take a few pivots and make the right play, then a shooter can't be in this category. You guys want to talk about replacement players at all? Should we be excited about Justin Jackson or CJ Miles? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've both been retread. Yeah, both Justin Jackson and CJ Miles are have been retread. You know, over and over again. Uh, Jackson's way younger. He's twenty six or twenty eight years old. Okay, um, Dallas picked him, right, in the draft? He, Dallas yeah, like number 16, him. yeah, I think so. He played for Dallas. He's, he's bounced around a little. But then he, he was in Sacramento uh, to start, then Toronto, then Sacramento again. Then he was in Dallas for a couple of years, then Toronto again, then Oklahoma City, then Milwaukee. Uh, but he at least has some statistics for the year, on the year, whereas C.J. Miles, who is 34, 35 years old, he hasn't played since 2019-20. Um, both guys are seen as shooters, but CJ Miles is career 36%. Justin Jackson, he's had one good year around that 37%, but for his career, he's 32% from three. So, uh, but you know, like these are guys who know the league, they know the rotations defensively. Like it's not like we're bringing in some rookies, um, as replacement players. Like at least they've been around and they get it. How disappointed are you that Isaiah Thomas was, picked up by LA. Any disappointment I have is so far outshined by how just happy I am that he's back in the NBA. It would be amazing. And I don't know if you guys saw Jared Weiss um, uh, had some tweets. Uh, he, he had asked Marcus Smart and Marcus Smart said he, he was trying to get IT signed back here in Boston. Uh, I guess he, he took his case to Celtics brass, but, but it didn't come through, but it, I'm just, you know, the love affair between the Celtics and the Boston fans and IT is long established. Um, everyone's rooting for him. I'm just happy he has another chance. And, you know, he went out there, put up 19 points in his debut for the Lakers, uh, plus the Lakers loss. So really, it's just it couldn't have gone better. I'm a seven out of 10. I'm kind of disappointed. I think at this point when you're bringing in actual replacement players like he's got to be the first guy on the list if you're trying to make a 15-man roster i can understand leaving him off um but shoot i mean he's he it's just it would have been a really good story and i think he would have helped us and i think he would have had pride and known what it was about you know and you can just tell obviously they didn't want to deal with the with hiding him defensively and and you know just the fact that uh even if he can be consistent offensively which it seems like he is at this point you know, the defense just isn't there. The athleticism isn't there anymore. Um, but I still would have done it. I would have pulled the trigger. I wonder if Danny Ainge were still at the helm. You know, he always liked bringing the old fan favorites back to town. Um, but obviously now that he's not upstairs anymore, you know, it didn't work. 
Yeah, so let's talk about Danny Ainge for a little bit. What about bit, you, Adam? There's a narrative. Adam, are you disappointed? Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I think Isaiah Thomas, I was already, I had a whole paragraph written about uh, after he went off in the G League about how he was going to play in the league again. And I, I thought um, I thought that there would be, and that we needed to, to create a reunion. So yeah, I am disappointed. Um, but I don't think he's going to add a whole lot. I, I do. I think it's so interesting this this situation because Thomas has not been super honest about how healthy he's been. He went on uh, what is it? All the smoke with Stephen Jackson and uh, Matt Barnes. So he's on all that. I think that's one of the more honest podcasts. And he went on there and he was talking about how he was rehabbing and struggling to to just move around the house and play with his kids and things like that, but still telling teams that he he was ready to go and ready to play. That was up until he got this uh, hip resurfacing surgery in May of 2020, which is like a replacement. It's a it's in the category of hip replacement. And after they had that surgery, he he went on that podcast and he was like, I actually feel completely different now. Like I was saying I was healthy before and I wasn't. Now I'm actually healthy. Hard to believe a guy when he, <laughs> he said he was lying before. Now I'm telling. The now truth. that he's telling the truth, but it does look like he's actually been able to get in the gym. His shot looks good. I mean, he's lost two steps, uh, and he's small, and he's never been a good defender because partly because of his size. But he's only 31. He's not done yet. He's still intelligent using the pick and roll. He can still shoot. Uh, he, he, I think, he can still get in the lane. He's still tough. He's a high level competitor. Like those are some things that I think you'd want on this team. And if you're talking about replacement players, which came out, I think, a day or two after that, I think he'd be a great person to add to this team, especially once you trade Dennis Schroeder. So obviously I'm rooting for him. Is he a fit on this team? I don't think so. I think Brad Stevens has kind of decided that also. Isn't there also like a risk of just almost tarnishing the memory like of how special his time here was? I'm serious. No, I'm I'm actually saying you're laughing, Josh, but like, yeah. His his the experience of him on the Celtics was like a truly magical two and a half year run. And if he comes back in in what is a diminished form relative to that, will he be like, will fans root for him and love him? Of course. But it it would kind of it would make it a different experience, I think. Well, I completely agree with you, Mike. The question is, does that outweigh the positive karma that you get from re-signing him. Mm, and I think for an answer to I that- I think that's for Josh to weigh in on. I was Josh is our say, karma adjudicator here. A resident expert on karma. Josh, What? how do you do that calculation? Uh, well, it it's difficult to do the calculation without the Danny Ainge, the guy who burned him in the beginning to start the karmic cycle. Uh, if he's not there anymore, then the karma doesn't always come back around. You know, because- any any new person, new decision maker doesn't necessarily get that karma back. So what if the 10-day deal with the Lakers runs and expires and then Ainge signs yeah. him to Utah? <laughs> no, still no. <laughs> okay, uh, I mean, okay. that's, that's, it's about the same amount as like Boston bringing him back without Ainge deciding it, right? It's like there's something, but it's it's difficult to, to measure, I would say. Uh, whereas, you know, karma normally is, is easy to measure. Uh, but is he in the, am I crazy? Is he in the category with, Kemba Walker, like, are they at the same level right now? No, Kemba's still good. Kemba can ball. What? You just don't, yeah, you just don't want him playing 35 minutes and starting. Bring him off the bench for 25 minutes a night. You're good. Okay, so IIT is a level below Kemba. Way below. Yeah. Yes, I think I think that's accurate. 
And Mike, how are you feeling about Fournier and Kemba now after they torched the Celtics for over 60 points in a loss? Yeah, in that losing effort, I feel great. I, I take back nothing I've said about either of them. Fournier has been terrible this year, pretty much in every game except for the two games against the Celtics. I know, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, Kemba Walker literally hadn't played in weeks until that game. And probably part of why he performed so well is because his knees were really well rested after not having played in an NBA game for a while. So I take back nothing. I, I mean, I have nothing but love for Kemba. I don't have any particular attachment one way or the other to Fournier other than now being pitted against you both in this argument about whether we should have re-signed him, which I feel the light's shining a little brighter on my side of that argument at the moment. Can we talk about Danny Ainge? We can. So there was a the, the narrative, uh, this story of the executive transition in the Boston Celtics organization continues with Danny Ainge becoming the, the alternate governor and CEO of the Utah Jazz. That is a title that I have not heard before. Um, he's working for the parent entertainment com- company, SEG. Uh, but he, look, he retired from the Celtics. He retired. That was the language that was used. And I know there's been a lot in podcasts and media the last week about was he pushed out? Was he not? Uh, did he just need a break? Like, like his narrative has been either way. I I think this, the language that's used is really interesting. I think this development is really interesting. And I think it was all really intentional. Respectfully, Adam, I don't, I don't find any of it particularly interesting. (laughs) Well, it's interesting to me because when, when we, when this happened, we all talked about it. And one of the things that I said was, this is a step down for the Celtics. When you lose a guy like Danny Ainge, one of the better executives in the league, I mean, we all talked about him. He was like top five on our lists. Of, of top executives in the league. You, he has not done well, performed well the last couple of years. And that's part of the, the the challenge that this team finds itself in at this point. But when you lose a guy like that and you um, elevate Brad Stevens, who's never been in the role before, to me, I think that's a step back. Can you overcome that over a period of time? Yeah, I think you can, especially when you consider the move from Stevens to Udoka in, in coaching. I, I think that could be looked at as a step back also. Um, but it, it was pretty obvious to me that Danny Ainge was not done. Um, this move to Utah makes a ton of sense. He's got a relationship with the new owner. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Justin Zanuck and Quinn Snyder there. They're, they're talking like they're keeping them all. I love this as a storyline in the uh, Danny Ainge, Pat Riley beef that has been going on for 30 years because Dwayne Wade is one of the owners of uh, oh, right. the Utah Jazz. Um, so this is like now Danny's on Dwayne Wade's team. He's got he's got uh, the guy. The guy that was that was Riley's guy. He's got Pat Riley's guy now. Um, so this is not as as like nice and oh I just needed a break and I and I let, left the Celtics in a really good position and like I, I get that this is better for Ainge and his family. It makes total sense for him to doing be doing what he's doing. I don't I don't blame him for that. But it's not as lovey dovey as as everybody wants to make it out to be in the media. Josh. Look, this is this is to me this is like so obvious. If you're if if Danny Ainge was being pushed out, he wouldn't have left everyone that he had worked that had worked under him there, like including his own son. Like the fact that Mike Zarin, Austin Ainge, and Brad Stevens are kind of like the three pronged front office is that's exactly who was there with Ainge, and Ainge was just calling the shots. So this to me this is like classically like leaving the cupboard full grooming your replacements, keeping the pul- like your finger on the pulse of what's going on because your son still works there. Um, and, and like you now have, or at least in your head, competitively for Ainge, you have their number. 
because you know how all those guys think. Um, and I think Ainge is always thinking competitively like that. And so you're, you're he, saying, Josh, he's made that, public, that, that Ainge he's was made ready public to leave? comments that he needed to get out of Boston, that Boston was overwhelming as a city, you know, as a sports city. He did 26 or 36, whatever many years he did in Boston as a player uh, and GM. And, and it was time to go back to where things are a little bit slower paced and nicer over uh, uh, towards the West Coast in Utah. And, you know, he is Mormon. I think that makes complete sense that he would want to retire in a place like that and not as fast paced of a place like Boston. Um, but that, you know, when you have been doing this for so long and you retire, you get the itch and you want to get more involved. And I could have, I could see that Danny Ainge planned each step of this the entire time. Um, and, you know, the last piece of it was hoping that Utah wants to take him on in some kind of a role. And this is a diminished role. It's not like he's the main decision maker or the one who needs to be uh, even at every meeting or event, you know, like this is kind of the perfect classic role for a guy who's retired and still wants to be around the game. And, and uh, you know, it seems to me like more of a consultant role. I know that, you know, the title of uh, the alternate governor is makes it seem like he's a alternate decision maker. Um, and I think that that's the governor's also the, also the chief executive of their basketball operations. I mean, he's, he's in a, he's in, a, he's in a non-retirement role. I would say, but it, it is a diminished role relative to what he was doing in Boston. I think both. I think both are true. Um, and look, he wants to be a part of a winner. <laughs> well, I, look, I, I mean, honestly, I, I still, I don't find it, it particularly interesting because I think, kind of like what you were saying, Josh. I think it was kind of an obvious conclusion, and I, I think the timing of Ainge's departure and the mode of it was surprising when it happened, um, but the need for Ainge to leave was, was, you know, I thought we all, I think we all felt like they needed to change things up or shake things up. So I think Ainge kind of set it up for himself. The part I find most interesting and maybe a little concerning is the reality that this ownership group probably wasn't going to make any of those change if left to their own devices um, when those changes were needed. So like Ainge, I mean, kudos to him. He, he recognized that, things were kind of stale and there was a need to shake things up and he was burnt out. Uh, I'd love for our ownership group to have had a, a finger on the pulse of all of that and been able to kind of proactively manage that situation. Um, but at the same time, it means that they're not meddling in too much, which probably is better for the long-term operation of the franchise. So I don't know. I don't find it overwhelmingly resonant that Ainge is back in the NBA. I don't think he did like anything wrong by retiring for two months before rejoining the league like i don't find i personally don't find any of that really interesting i'm like oh age is back interesting like and that's the extent of interest i have let's not skip over this piece about age going to a better situation basketball at ownership wise it's not just better for for life wise for him you don't know it's better Uh, ownership wise uh, well here's the thing that utah ownership has a lot more money than the Celtics ownership. The Celtics are like 28th in the league in in wealth of of their owners. And we have seen over the last couple of years how that has impacted their basketball decisions, specifically the the decision to not pay the luxury tax. Uh, This team has not paid the luxury tax since the 08 championship group was together. And and it was a different CBA at that time. There's a new CBA in place now for a couple of years and, and they have not shown any interest in paying the luxury tax 
in a way that would cost them significant money. And we've seen some cost-cutting moves to, to, to have that happen. So it would not be surprising to me if Danny Ainge started thinking, this ownership group isn't going to pay what I think we need to in order to put together a true contender. And, it, and I believe that the Utah group do, will do that. So in that way, I think he could be in a better situation in terms of um, having owners that support the basketball decisions more than in Boston. And that's a better team in Utah right now. They've got, I hesitate saying they're they have a better roster. To a title. They're closer to a title. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're closer to a title. And Ainge, he's had some heart problems. You know, like the benefit of being in Boston, you might think is, well, we've got the best hospitals and medical system in the world. But you know what else is like really good for preventing heart attacks? Like lowering your stress level, getting out of the Boston media coverage. Um, you know, and in Utah, things are, are more calm. And so to me, like, it's a no brainer when you look at the amount of stress in each of those jobs, you know, like, even if you scaled it to the, to like the amount of wealth of the owners or the, you know, propensity to get big, bigger deals done. Um, and Donovan Mitchell is a, is a straight up stud. Like we've been talking about mental toughness a lot on this pod and he's one of the more mentally tough guys in the whole league. And, and in my opinion, an up and coming player. He's very composed and mature for his age. I mean, Tatum and Brown are composed and mature in their own way, but nobody wants to trade Tatum and Brown. But if you're, if you're like using an example of trading them for somebody else in the league, who's young and, and just as good as them, like Donovan Mitchell's on their level. Did you guys see the press conference introducing Ainge in Utah? No, no. It ended classic Boston. There were three questions from zoom at the end. Mark Murphy, Former Celtics blogger Jared Weiss, Celtics blogger Bobby Manning. Those were the only three Zoom questions. And afterwards, Ryan Smith closed the press conference, scoffing incredulously. Are we going to get Boston journalists on every Zoom call? It was (laughs) so typical Boston. It speaks to your point, Josh, about the lowered stress. The owner of the Utah Jazz is like, what is going on here? Why do you care so much about Danny Ainge? Yeah, we care more than everybody else here in Boston. Yeah, I I agree with Josh, I, I think it's much more the stress and kind of where where Ainge wants to settle. And uh, like, I don't think he'd go to Utah if they were kind of in a dilapidated state. But I I think you're overstating Adam this this piece on the ownership and willingness to pay. And I, I think you, I think you've over I think that's been overstated about the the ownership group's unwillingness to pay for a couple of years now because I don't think there's been a team worth investing in yet and. Ainge bears some of the response, a lot of the responsibility for that because he's brought in some of the wrong pieces. Um, okay, conspiracy. Before, yeah, conspiracy yeah, theory. Yeah, let's talk conspiracy theories on, around on Ainge. On Danny right Ainge, right? Around the timeline, okay? Because the narrative that Danny Ainge has put out there is like, I needed a break. COVID was really hard. I needed six months off. I took those six months. Uh, you know, Ryan Smith and I, the owner of the Utah Jazz, we've been friends for a long time. He invited me out to this golfing event. He pitched me a couple weeks ago. We hashed it out. Now we're here. Danny Ainge put his home in Wellesley on the market in June of 2021, right when he stepped down. Then he moved to Utah. Uh, That house was on the market. It didn't sell. I checked when he uh, got the job in Utah. It was under contract and it has now sold. Did he wait to take the job (laughs) until he sold his house (laughs) so that we'd get a better deal? Absolutely. Seems a little stingy to me, if that's true. I feel a little let down by that conspiracy theory. I thought we were going something much more conniving about undermining the Celtics with roster moves. Or what I was really hoping you were going to try to argue is that Danny Ainge left because we the ownership was not willing to re-sign Evan Fournier. 
that was that was the argument I was looking for from you, Adam. But okay, I got a I got a better one. Then this is not for our real estate fans, but uh, did Danny Ainge have a baby, name him Austin, groom him to be in the front office of the Celtics, so that he could then move to Utah and have a direct link to all of the inside information in Boston? Is that better, Mike? It's a long con. That's a long con. That's a yeah. multi <laughs> multi generational yeah. con. Bring um, one championship as a as a general manager to Boston just so he could win many more in Utah. No, but the image of him doing a deal with that front office or negotiating a deal, you know, he knows he has Austin's number. He knows he has Brad Stevens' number because he groomed him. Um, despite you know Brad Stevens' propensity to hold his cards, close he to might his think back. he does. I, uh, I would, I don't know. I, I think you're giving not nearly enough faith or confidence into these other highly intelligent, capable people. They're not going to want to lose to him in negotiation. They know how he works too. Well, I had this whole image in my head before Ainge left that he was the secret, like consigliere advisor to, to our staff. And, uh, you know, now that's out the window. So just, I'm, I'm really like leaning on these images of, uh, Ainge, having phone calls or, or, or ending phone calls in certain ways with our front office staff based on how negotiations are going. Um, and I'm sure they're the most interesting, funny, um, and competitive conversations as far as front office negotiations go. Well, our next few games, uh, obviously, when you're listening to this, we will have uh, played the Philadelphia 76ers. We then go to Cleveland uh, and then Milwaukee again at um, on the road before going to Minnesota. This Cleveland team, uh, Mike, are they the best team in the Eastern Conference right now? Um, I mean, I wouldn't call them the best team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they're probably the third best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, They've got the best record in the last 10 games. They've got the best point differential by They far. have been insanely good. And if you go back over the past few weeks... Okay, so they've won six games in a row. They have won them by like an average of 20-something points. That has included wins against Chicago, who has an excellent record, um, Miami, and Milwaukee in Milwaukee, and Minnesota, who's actually been playing pretty well for the most part. Um, it also includes wins against Sacramento and Houston. Nothing to write home about. They lost two games before those six, one at Milwaukee by eight, and one against Utah by one point. So those are two very respectable losses. Before that, they won four games in a row at Washington, at Miami, at Dallas, and then versus Orlando. All of those wins, again, by at least 15 points. No, sorry, one was by 13 points. They lost four games in a row before that. Actually, five games in a row. The first of those five was a game against us where Evan Mobley got hurt. So then they lost the next four games without Evan Mobley. Those four games were also against Brooklyn twice, Golden State, and Phoenix which are reasonable games to lose anyway. But since Mobley's been back, I mean, they've won 10 of their last 12. They are actually, they're like a juggernaut. <laughs> uh, the, the foursome of, I was talking about the four-man combinations before, the foursome of Garland, Jared Allen, Rubio, and Evan Mobley is insanely good. Uh, they are, that foursome is plus 24.5 net rating in 106 minutes together and those that's like i mean i've been wanting rubio for a long time cleveland's way too good there's no way they're going to give him up uh but this is why that that guy raises your floor and then when you get 
Like, I think Evan Mobley is going to be a transcendental player. And uh, Darius Garland is clearly coming into his own. Um, When you get a floor raiser like Rubio and then you get transcendental talent that raises your ceiling on top of that, I think Cleveland's going to be here to stay. Uh, They're really putting something together. So I'm I'm probably more afraid of Cleveland right now than I am of um, of Milwaukee in our upcoming games. Mike, as you know, uh, we we Josh and I proposed this trade on the last podcast. I want to know what you what you would do if you could trade uh, Evan Mobley straight up for Jason Tatum. Would you do it? Whew. No, not not yet. But I would. He's a juggernaut, Mike. He is a juggernaut. I would be I would be conflicted. I would think about it. I would think about it. It's too. I think it's too early to to pull the trigger on that with Evan Mobley. But I would not. I would not be surprised if Evan Mobley had a better career than Jason Tatum when it's all said and done. That's what I'll say. But I, I wouldn't make the trade today. All right, we'll keep watching this team. Please keep listening. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod or individually at Mike Minkoff NBA and at Coach Motenko. For Josh, I am not on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. You are all a part of Celtics Pride.